0: Every one of you who confesses Jesus as Lord of the universe signs up for a significance beyond anything you ever dreamed. And I mean business men and women here, homemakers, students. To belong to Jesus is to embrace the nations. Your heart was made for this.
1: Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Made for Missions podcast, where our heart is to mobilize Christians towards the Great Commission. For more information, go to my website at mikefalkenstein.com. That's Mike, Falkenstein, F-A-L-K-E-N-S-T-I-N-E.com. Thanks for joining us. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us for this, the 42nd episode of the Made for Missions podcast. I am one of your hosts, Mike Falkenstein, and I'm here again with my co-host, Ken Watmore. And Ken, we were just talking about our family's vacation plans for the summer, and it's just fun to be in Colorado, isn't it? No doubt. There's just tons of stuff to do right here.
2: Yeah, it's. I mean,
1: if you're bored in Colorado, it's certainly a your own fault yeah that's yeah. right, yeah yeah there's plenty to do, and of course, a lot of it's mountains, but there's all all manner of other things to do, and so you know, I think personally our our my favorite season here in Colorado is summer, too. I mean, it gets warm, but that air stays dry, and it's just nice being outside and it?
2: yeah, and i I actually you know there's different reasons that I love each season here. I think that summer and fall kinda to to me both have the this unique but equal appeal to me. Probably we you know we fish a lot. We our family is oh, okay. We really love to fish. We like to hunt too, but we're just you know we, we really fish. That's what that's a thing we're good at. Okay. <laughs> and we enjoy it. So summer can limit that in some ways and you know you just have to be opportunists to win the right fish, the right time, the right place, all that kind of stuff. Um fall seems to be the most productive
1: season for oh, fish. Okay. So
2: we, I've coached football for so many years in the fall that I have limited fall access to fishing. Oh, um, right. You're just busy. So, yeah, yeah. So we figured out how to be great fisher men and women in the summer. Okay. Uh, but this year, it will be the first year that I'm not coaching football for some many, many years. And, okay. And, uh, you know, this, I'm looking
1: very forward to fall this year. <laughs> so. Okay. And you sound like uh, the way Peyton Manning's been talking. He's been, you know, I've been 22 years playing football every fall. He's, he said he's actually looking forward to just having some time off. Right. It's really not bad, is it? No, not bad at all. <laughs> That's great. Well, so, Ken, we've got a fun podcast episode, I think, for everyone today. And, you know, recently I was on another online seminar and some of our special guests were talking about the current refugee crisis. And I thought that it would be worth our time in our podcast to take time to talk about this crisis and you know we're hearing about this a lot in the news right so it's also a very a very current situation so we've got people from really a all around the world that are considered uh, refugees. So, you know, the crisis in uh, Syria is one of those. 12 million Syrians now have been displaced. Uh, of course, the whole situation going on in Iraq, more than 3 million have been de- displaced. I didn't realize that there was a fairly large refugee population leaving Myanmar. And in, so there's actually in Asia, there's a fairly large group of refugees that are going to Thailand and the Philippines. And so one of the things that really kind of blew me away was that currently, right now, there are about 65 million refugees around the world. And that's equivalent to about one in every 113 people on the planet. So that's a pretty big deal going on in our world right now in yeah and
2: no question about it and of course these are you know these refugees are in larger groups of people so it's amazing to think that it's one in every 113 people sometimes i think even if you crunch that up a little bit more and think that there are literally thousands kind of moving into a you know another area at one time you, you start it starts to be a little i don't want to say overwhelming but maybe a little bit overwhelming for certain parts
1: of the of the world yeah well it certainly is and uh Particularly those countries. I know like Germany has taken now some 800,000 Syrians and it just it does tax a place. I know I just read in the newspaper today or yesterday that, you know, the country of Jordan and the country of Syria share a border and Jordan is finally Closed that border just because they they've said we want to help, but we just literally cannot take any more sure. <laughs> refugees. So, but at least in terms of our purposes here at the Made for Missions Podcast, Ken, we want to talk about the sort of the, maybe the Christian response to this crisis, and you know it's been in the news here in the United States in terms of whether we should take refugees, whether we shouldn't, what that looks like, and so today in the podcast, I thought what we do is look at the typical responses to a crisis like this among Christians and then hopefully come up with some. uh, Of course, we're going to look at what the Bible says about this crisis and then maybe some responses to that. We can sort of brainstorm together and look at some responses. So how does that sound to you? That's good. It's a great topic, for sure. Yeah, it is. It is. So, well, as I was doing the the reading and research and was on on this online survey, this online (laughs) seminar, there were really two typical responses to the crisis among Christians. Of course, at first, you know, we have to come up with compassion, right? Because if you see any news about it, even if you did a Google search current refugee crisis and then click on the images page those are people right i mean it i mean it could be us it's just that we live in a you know a different situation i mean we're just fortunate to live in the united states but these are families with kids with you know and the and the moms and dads are just trying to take care of their kids and their their family. And so, you know, we've seen some of these stories where large numbers of refugees have been on a boat and then the boat sinks and, you know, kids are, kids are, kids are drowning. And I mean, it's just a, I mean, the human element of this is very compelling isn't it.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, certainly I can tell you just growing up in Florida as a kid, you know, this goes back some time, but we, you know, both Cuban, uh, yeah, refugees and Haitian right. refugees. We, there's a very common story in the news, right? Of rafts being crafted out of boards and styrofoam, and literally families trying to escape either tyranny or just extreme poverty to come to the United States. And it's tragic. Ma- you know, many times you hear stories of them sinking, losing mm. their lives. You know, I mean, you run into storms. You, you have a, a boat that's not going to work for more than a couple miles. You know, I mean, all these things happen, and it's it is tragic for sure. And it, and even to an, a greater extreme when you think about the distance between our shores and a, somewhere in, in Europe and in Asia. Right. I mean, this is much further. And, yeah, that's right. Uh, and people are trying to find ways out. It's certainly a very tough situation.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, from what is it from Cuba to Florida, it's only something like 90 miles. That's isn't right. It? Yep. And so they just have to try to make it that 90 miles. But yeah, many times in substandard vessels for sure.
2: Yeah. I mean, no matter what, you know, a mile offshore is tough yes. water. That's, yeah. big, that's big water. It's and really I, hard.
1: Yeah. Of course, we don't want to get too much into this, but All I've right. heard that border or that area between Cuba and Florida is a, a shark infested area as well. High, high, high numbers of sharks. So that that adds to the situation too, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think. That,
2: frankly, the worst thing that you have to fear there, though, is weather. I mean, you oh, okay, the sharks are if you don't stay in the boat. Right? Yeah, that's I mean, right. Though the weather's the problem. It, you know, it's like I said, it's big water. You, when you're a mile out, you know, I've fished all my life in Florida. It's, I mean, those are big, big, big waves, big heavy currents, huge storms. It's, you know, it's very tough, even for a great vessel.
1: Oh, right. That's right and then of course as part of kind of the compassion part we look at what the the Bible has to say and it is interesting that the Bible actually has quite a bit to say about this issue and so as Christians of course we the first question that we always ask is what are the what does the Bible say about this right so I've just picked uh, three passages Ken although there are many more than that and so of course in the new in the Old Testament we hear quite a bit about this and so we pull something from like uh, Leviticus 19, where he says, the the Bible says, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you are foreigners in Egypt. And at least as it relates to American Christianity, Ken, that kind of relates too, right? I mean, very few of us are uh, natively from North America. I mean, we also came from another place. At least our families came from another place, right? So this whole business of, for you were foreigners at one time, yeah, we kind of were. And the Bible's calling us to love them, to give them food and clothing. And I mean... As Christians, that really hits home, doesn't it?
2: It certainly does. There's, you know, anytime, and I, I actually think about this issue and co- plenty, uh, especially in today's climate of politics, our, you know, kind of the social well-being of our, our free culture here. You know, it does. It, I always have to go back and think that, you know, my my grandmother's family. You know, was from Hungary, right? Their Hungarian Jewish family. We have family, obviously, no one I ever knew that that suffered during the Holocaust, right? Uh, my grandfather's family was from England. My mm. other grandmother, Ireland. My other grandfather, you know, they're French Canadian. Wow. Everybody came here from somewhere, and 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 that's something I always have to put in check when I'm thinking about these things. And then also, you know, I want to be a good steward of the freedoms that we have. And as you know, as I am, kind of politically active to an extent you know i want to still think about the potential issues that come up when you talk about refugees and mm-hmm. you know in immigration as a whole this is a this is a big issue and it's tough and there's so much to it and also and i know you're going to get into this so i'll be quiet but no um, you're fine the we we are like you and I were talking before. I mean, no, no matter how you look at it, there's no question that we are mandated biblically, just like the Great Commission. We're we're told it's not a suggestion. We're told to go out, make disciples. I mean, we're supposed to go share Christ and make disciples of that's all right. men. That's right? just kind of
0: normative that, for that, Christians. That's what we do, right? right?
2: But we're and we're also told that it is our job, it's our obligation to the sick, the hungry, the poor, the widowed. I mean, we are we are obligated to care for these people.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And the other the next passage that I have really underlines that too in Deuteronomy 10 where it says he defends the cause of the fatherless, meaning God, right? God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And and you are to love those who are foreigners for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. So again, we get that that idea that, hey, just in the same way you were foreigners, which I'm assuming I don't even know that, that detail of my family history, but I know Kind of generally my mother's side comes from kind of Scandinavia and my father's side is sort of a kind of a, you know, a German Austrian mix. And I would have to only guess that it would probably be a pretty good educated guess that at one point there were people who helped, you know, my ancestors when they first got here, too. Right. And so in that same way, boy, I sure think that uh, it seems like God is telling us to. Yeah, it says right here. Love the foreigner residing among you. Right. And I think that
2: that's, you know, I temper my response with that thought process of definitely, you know, well, to love everyone. Right. And I'm, I'm trying not to overstep how I want to say this. That's right. fine. But to, to love everyone. And the foreigner residing among us is not necessarily the same as a refugee that wants to be residing among us. There's a yeah. difference there. That's right. Um, and there do have to be some processes in place. And I know you'll talk about that. There are certainly processes, but there are also some concerns with the process and of, of how people are are brought into the country now and not just our country this is global this is I, I think that the thing to always keep in mind is this i mean we're americans right we live in america we have this wonderful freedom that is really not seen anywhere else in the world and we and we want to keep that we're you know we love the comfort of that saying that this issue is all the issues that we talk about ha- from a christian perspective always have to be global issues right i mean yeah that's right the, we're supposed to love everyone. We're supposed to share Christ with everyone. And this is, this is something that goes way beyond our doorstep here. And I think that there's a lot of ways to go back and forth on how we best serve the refugee populations, how we, you know, how do we love them and care for them? And what do we do to ensure that, that they're safe and well taken care of? And we're still not just sidestepping
1: our obligation as Christians. Yeah, that's right. That's really good. And we'll get into some of the, the, I'm glad you brought it up because we'll bring it, bring up some of those processes here in a minute. So before the break, and I want to, mention one New Testament passage as well that I thought was just very interesting. So Jesus is teaching in Matthew 25, and starting in verse 35, he says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then, of course, the people that are hearing him are sort of like Lord, you know, when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And he says, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. And so it's almost like, boy, once these people come here and we we care for them, it is as if we're also caring for the Lord or we're, you know, we're, we're showing them that love that Jesus has for mm-hmm. them. You know, so again, even from, you know, Jesus himself, we're seeing a you know, even more of a biblical mandate maybe to, you know, to take care of these ones. So can, you know, that's the first thing is obviously there's the compassion piece. There's the what does the Bible say? When we come back from the break, Ken, let's talk about that second emotion, which is what you talked about, which is fear, right? Because we have heard about some of these terrorist attacks around the world and we, you know, we want to make sure that these people who are coming into our countries are properly vetted. And so we'll talk about that right after this. For now, let's let our friend Tom Muller Say a few
0: words. Hi, I'm Tom Mueller. There may be many of you who are confused about China and the most effective ways of Christian engagement. Mike Falkenstein has written this book for you. There is much confusion and many questions persist about China. Does persecution exist? Can Christians in China worship freely? Is it still necessary to smuggle Bibles? Being outside of China, how can I most effectively pray for and engage in God's work in China? Are China's unregistered churches able to worship freely? Many people are confused by these questions and issues. China is like a huge puzzle with many pieces and moving parts. It's hard to identify all that's happening today in China. In his book, The Chinese Puzzle, Mike gives you the other pieces for a much clearer picture of China and her church. To get your copy today, contact Mike at mike.com at ChinaResourceCenter.org for pricing and shipping options. Contact Mike today. Well, Ken,
1: we're having a great conversation here. And you mentioned just a bit about, as we were talking about the biblical piece, you know, the kind of the, you did a little preamble on the second emotion that I think a lot of us... Uh, feel, which is fear, right? Because these are people that are coming from countries to which we're not very familiar. There are probably not many of us have who have been to Syria or have been to Iraq. And, you know, I mean, fear rises uh, up among us when we talk about welcoming these folks and into, you know, of course we're talking about a a United States perspective, but, uh, you know, that, that would be true of any of our listeners around the world, right? I mean, many are concerned about creating this, you know, this gateway for terrorism. And the the fear is at least somewhat understandable because, you know, we did have these terrorist attacks in Paris, which I think you were just talking about before our, you know, before the podcast started. Of course, we had California last fall and now, obviously, Orlando just in the last week or so. And in each case, it does seem like there is a Muslim connection of some kind. And so at least in some part, that fear is understandable.
2: Yeah, it certainly is. And I mean, again, I many people would listen and say, well, you know, this thing in Orlando, he was, you know, radicalized here in the country. And sure, I I agree. There's there's no question about that. I think that the concern is like, okay, I don't think anybody is ignorant to the fact that we are we are now in a place where we're going to see this thing happen in our country. We we have to recognize that. We have to know that it's there. We have to be diligent about, you know, doing everything we can do to try and stop terrorism. Uh, Unfortunately, our our brothers and sisters all over the globe have been dealing with this for you know decades yeah. and decades say much longer really. Um, so it's fairly yeah. new to us, and there's a there's that's a huge right. shock factor, fear factor to it, and obviously that's what terrorists capitalize on, right? And they can be individual terrorist acts. They can be you know people that certainly part of a, a larger group. And I and I do see that you know there's a there's a legitimate reason for the fear and the concern about how we allow refugees and immigrant populations into our Our country. I think that sometimes we are way over the top with our reaction, and we and we don't. I I, I mentioned on a podcast several episodes ago. One of the greatest things I ever heard Ann Graham Lotz say. She was in an interview on Fox News, and it was this is many years ago, even right. But her someone said, "Well, what do you what do you think about this?" You know crisis of immigration and people coming across the border. And she said, you know, all I know is all those people need Jesus. And yeah, that, that's you know, right. That's the response that we have to have. It doesn't, and in no way am I suggesting that it doesn't mean we have to not go through vetting processes. And I think that there's good information out there that talks about the current vetting processes, which I know you'll talk about. Yes. Um, and I think and I think there's bad information out there. And it'd be great to have an expert on this particular thing that's currently involved in, in, in immigration. It'd be great if they were a christian so we could actually get a perspective from that you know yeah that's right but right now i mean for the topic right it's there's a legitimate reason to be concerned but you can never sidestep your obligation to care for those
1: who need care yeah that's right and of course you know that's getting into hopefully where we end up right that Mm -hmm. these people do need jesus uh as to the The emotion of fear and allowing people to come in I think the what I found out in doing a little bit of reading about this is that you know the I mean I think a little a bit of history and a little bit of data go a long way to sort of calming that fear hopefully and at least for me this was one of the the most um, interesting things that I found out right that you know so far the United States has settled about three million refugees since the late 1970s none of those people have been yet terrorists and it was interesting that that as it relates to the United States, now again, what those processes are like in France or Singapore or the UK or other places where I know we have people who are listening you know I'm not sure but there's a reason why none of those people have been terrorists part of it is the vetting process for refugees coming into the United States who qualify for resettlement is extensive so you've got the FBI State Department you know the Department of Homeland Security are all involved the process takes about 18 months many times much longer with significant clearance hurdles and so you know for you to even claim refugee status get approved to you know to resettle in the united states before you even step foot on american soil you've gone through this what you just call it a two-year process <laughs> that uh, and the folks on the online seminar had said that that amongst people from other countries coming to the united states the process, the, the vetting process for refugees is by far the most extensive. You know, you've got all these other kind of business visas and tourist visas. And, you know, of course, those people are somewhat vetted, too. But when it when it comes to refugees, you know, the you know, there's a very extensive process. So I don't know about you, Ken, but at least in terms of what I've been hearing on uh you know, cable news and whatnot, that's a little bit different than what I've been hearing. Is that similar to you?
2: Yeah. And again, I I, I do hear different things and, you know, it's, it's hard in in our world with so much information out there i think the hard part is that there's good information there's bad information and i think that there's the, the people that are getting interviewed on the news there's going to be a portion of them that give you good information and a portion of them yeah. that give you bad information they that's all right. have a side to protect and they're all working towards protecting that side
1: so yeah that's right
2: it's so i you know i think again it's a matter of there, there's, there are experts out there that have the right information that want to get the right information out there. And it's a matter of, do, you know, who can get it. There's so much information. Sometimes it can be an overload and some of it is confusing and not accurate. I think the, I, I, I can say this. I, I do think the, we know this. We know there are bad people in the country now. Yes. We know there are, there are bad groups of people. I mean, there are terrorist organizations that have camps set up in the country that are training people how to be terrorists here in our country. We know that. We've got, you know, extensive video of these people doing it. We have, you know, they've been infiltrated certainly by FBI members here and there. They, sometimes they get caught and kicked out and, but we know it's here. So we'll call it a cell, I guess, is that, you know, that's the terminology. Is there yes. terrorist cells working that's right. here now? I think the key is for me, as a church, The people that are here, at least I know this, we need to go get them and care for them and let them know who Christ is and how much we love them and how much he loves them and take care of them. Because I will say that these terrorist groups now, it's a different kind of warfare than what we've seen, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Oh, right. And believe me, they want to go infiltrate those refugee populations because they know it's an easy target. You know, I mean, what's the easiest way to
1: speak their language, so to speak, and similar
2: culturally and all of that. Sure. Well, I mean, Christ said, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Okay, take that at face value for Uh what it is. When people need water, the people who give them the water are going to get their ear first. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, that's right. When people need food, whoever's got the food for them is going to get them to hear first. The case in point, the homeless population here, just in Denver alone, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to homeless people, and when you talk to them about Christ, I guarantee you this, they know exactly what to say. It doesn't mean that they're oh. true followers of Christ, but they know how to tell you that they believe in Christ. They know how to tell you, because you know what they're used to? They're used to going to the missions and getting food, and oh, they, right. they know exactly the answers, and some of them are genuine, but some of them aren't, because they they're just so used to hearing the message because it's what gets them the food the drink the shelter and so we we could experience that anywhere in the world, right? The people who provide for the populations that need are the people who can tickle their ears. Yeah, that's right. You know, so why not why not tickle their ears with the truth? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You
1: know? Get to them first. That's right. So that's right. And that's good, Ken. One note before we kind of close this up is that and I don't know much about these terrorist cells that you talk about. I've just seen a little bit on Facebook. I would assume that those people are not – those are not refugee populations necessarily. So as it relates to this to- this topic, right? You know, they came here some some other way, or as you mentioned, maybe they are radicalized once they got here, or you know, within, sure within the country. So as it relates to okay, so we've seen you know, what the Bible says, we do know that this is a crisis. I guess I would say if people are going through that vetting process, I would completely agree with you, Ken, that actually I think we have a pretty cool opportunity to fulfill the Great Commission right here and make disciples of at least some of those nations, right? And, you know, so we have a neat opportunity So my encouragement to those listening and particularly those church leaders and pastors is find out how you can get involved because actually it is Mm, not a, it is not a super extensive process. As you mentioned, it might just be doing a potluck dinner from time to time and feeding or, Mm -hmm. you know, doing some things. There was a recent lifeway research study, Ken, and they've, they did a, a study on kind of the difference between maybe people's theology, what we've just read in the Bible and kind of of how that actually applies to refugees. And so 86% of Protestant pastors affirm that we have this responsibility to care sacrificially for refugees but only eight percent of pastors said their churches were actively involved in serving refugees so can let's give them a couple of key places where maybe we can tick that eight percent up just a little bit so the first step i would say is there's a website called WeWelcomeRefugees.com. it is run by a christian group and so you can go to okay i'm in you know, San Francisco, or I'm in Austin, Texas, and you can there's a pull down, drop down menu, and you can find out what organizations are involved in refugees. It seems like the states along the e- the eastern coast of our country are getting more, partially just because that's where they these refugees right, first right. To come, right? So there's opportunity there. There's a uh, Christian ministry that I've become real familiar with called worldrelief.org. And so it is actually a Christian organization working with these refugees. Uh, Ken, you had a good idea. It might just be worth for our next episode to have a world relief member staff member interviewed so we get some of this for you know even more perspective so i'll i'll look into that and then world relief has just putting out a book called seeking refuge and so for those that want to learn more about the refugee crisis and how they can be involved yeah they uh they have uh, opportunities for that so can i you know you're probably like me i just would encourage folks to go to the website and begin praying about how they could be involved and i mean it's kind of a You know, in terms of really hard stuff to do, going to rural Asia or, you know, the mountains of Tibet or something, that's kind of a really hard thing to do as it relates to Great Commission work. If these refugees are coming here, that's kind of a level one pretty easy thing to do, isn't
2: it? Yeah, I think so. And and again, there are refugees here now. So there's ways to find out how to go help those populations that are existing here right now. Yeah, that's know, right. Uh, there's people in our church right now that are getting thing, you know, goods that uh, refugee families that have been families that have been displaced, That they need. I mean, uh, we just had friends that kind of put together. They had like a couch and a kitchen table and all this stuff. I see stuff like that's great. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great. They need them, and it's you know, gosh, how many times do we? It's and not that I'm knocking Goodwill, right? But how many times in my life have I gone and dropped off stuff at Goodwill or dropped off stuff at the Salvation Army, which is all great. That is. Um, But I can tell you that when we were asked, "Hey, do you have anything we can give to this family?" and we had a kitchen table we could give, I was like, "That's so much cooler, right?" I mean, yeah, it is. This is a family that we can kind of. Touch, feel, know. We can maybe mm. we would start to be involved with them. I, you know, I don't know what God's got in store for that, but I do know that that door is wide open everywhere, at USA, right now. Yeah, you that's know, right. There are families that are here that need help. Maybe they just need some food. Maybe they need someone to just come by and let them know that they you know, that hey, you're here. Hey. We're glad I'm, you're here. <laughs> yeah, I'm here for you. Okay. I, you know, even just to kind of talk. Tell me about your culture. Tell me where you came from. Mm, I mean, they, that's really we good. all want to be loved. I mean, even in our country, right? We want to be we want to be liked by our neighbors. We want to be liked that's by right. the people we associate with. Well, what do you? How do you think they feel when they come to a place where they don't oh know my anyone? Right? Yeah. They want to be loved. They want to be cared for. That's right. Um, they want to be talked to.
1: I mean, at this so. point, they're kind of on the outside of society, right? Yeah. Instead of for people who live here and are from here to go, "Hey, come and have dinner," or come, you know. Yeah, exactly. Wh- that was what my, can we do. Right, that was my yeah. point earlier too. It's like I I I do I feel like the the
2: bad people in in any country are going to prey on the weak because that's what that's what bad people do, right? Mm-hmm. So, how about the good people start to go and help the 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 weak yeah. because if that's we don't, right. and I think this is your point with uh, you know, what can our churches do? If we don't go get involved, then they're going to These communities that are apart from our own and that are not accustomed to the way of life that we so love here, they're going to be separate communities. They're going to – all the things that we are accustomed to and used to are going to change in certain parts of our communities because nobody's reached out to them. So they're going to form their own rules and – you know, it's kind of a established
1: yeah, uh, that's right. street rules, I would yeah, say, right? Yeah, that's right, right. It, yeah. Things go, change if you don't get yeah. involved. Get involved, become yeah. kind of salt and light in their, in that's their right. communities, and yeah. So again, we welcome refugees.com. I would encourage everyone to go. As it relates to Ken and I, of course, we'd love to continue the conversation. I'm at uh, Missions Mike on Twitter, and Ken is at Ken Watmore. Ken, good conversation.
2: Yeah, thanks. This yeah. is great, and we Richard, I'm sure we'll talk about this more.
1: Yeah, we will talk about it more, and uh, of course, we'd love to hear from you about this and what your churches are doing so let's communicate via twitter thanks to everyone for joining us for this the latest episode of the made for missions podcast and we will look forward to having you with us uh, next time